0: Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to read concerning Moses from verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child, and they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. Let's pray once more. Lord, do give us faith, even now we pray, the faith which pleases you, which believes that you are, and that you are the rewarder of all those who diligently seek you. Give us all seeking hearts this evening. Help us, O God, to rest upon you tonight and in all things. Encourage, uphold, uplift, and bless us tonight, Heavenly Father. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In Acts chapter 14 and verse 22, the saints were warned that we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of heaven. We are grateful for the honesty of the Bible, for its straightforward plainness about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It is not an easy thing to be a faithful follower of the Lord, and apart from the help of the Holy Spirit, there's not a one of us who has the strength, the wisdom, the fortitude to do so. How do we hold fast? How do we press forward? Moses is an example for us, a model of the kind of faith that we still need. Moses consciously identified himself with God, with Messiah, and with the people of God and his Messiah. So by faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I will not identify myself as such, whatever may be the privileges, the opportunities, and the expectations that go with that elevated position. He chose by faith, Not to be that man, but to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Moses looked at what was before him and all the passing, the fading, the moving on pleasures of sin were held out to him. And he said, no, affliction with God's people because they are the people of God. Verse 26, he esteemed, he calculated, he considered the reproach of Christ. In that sense, you can say Moses was a Christian. Moses was looking to Messiah when he thought that the reproach associated with Messiah, God's anointed one, was greater riches than the treasures in Egypt because he looked to the reward. So Moses had these things before him. Moses had these options in front of him, much like we have today. He had the opportunity to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, and he said, no, I will not have that. He chose rather to suffer affliction with God's people than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. He calculated that the reproach of Christ... That being among God's people and considered as one of them, that was more valuable. There was greater wealth, truly speaking, in that than in all the treasures in Egypt because he was looking to the reward that followed after the reproach. Moses then made a choice that he would follow Jesus, that he would follow God's Christ And again, in John 5, verse 46, our Lord says that Moses spoke about him. He may not have had the fullness of the revelation that we enjoy, but John 5, the words of Christ tell us. Hebrews 11, the words of this writer tell us that Moses understood that God's promised Messiah was coming. And Moses allied himself deliberately, consciously, willingly with God's Messiah. It was necessary for Moses, as for all who follow the Lord Christ, that before glory there should come suffering. The life of Moses then bears out the principle that our Lord spoke about. For example, in Luke 17, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. That's what Moses turned his back about. I will not seek to save my life. Whoever loses his life, that's what Moses did. Not Pharaoh's daughter's son, not the treasures of Egypt, not the passing pleasures of sin. That is the man or woman who ultimately will save his life. Or again... Matthew chapter 10, just to give you a couple of these representative passages. Verse 38, you know this kind of language. He who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Take his cross, make that choice, embrace that way of life. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Or again in Matthew chapter 16, Verses 24 to 26. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Over and over, those three portions, you're hearing the same principles laid down, the same uh, structure pressed in. And what you've got in Moses is a man who actually did that. A man who weighed those things up. And in an environment in which you could pretty much lift up the, old, the New Testament language and say, that's what it looks like. Even under the old covenant, Moses was a man who chose suffering now with glory to come for the sake of his God and Saviour. Moses grasped the Lord's divine purposes. Moses knew that God was calling him to be his man and to serve him faithfully. And so Moses pressed on in the face of fear. The end of verse 27 tells us that this man, having made this choice... He endured as seeing him who is invisible. Moses endured as seeing him who is invisible. And that's the element of Moses as a model that I want us to take this evening. This reminds us, it teaches us that God's servants will need to endure. God's servants will need to endure. To endure. This is not restricted to Moses. Like Christ himself, Moses following Christ, we have need to endure. Now, we may think of endurance or perseverance in a rather passive sense. Things happen to us and we put up with them. Did Moses endure as seeing him who is invisible because when bad stuff happened, Moses just grinned and bore it? That is not the sense of the enduring or persevering that is spoken of here. It means that Moses pressed forward. That despite what came against him, Moses kept, if you will, his eyes lifted and Moses didn't just go with the flow or just batten down the hatches or just hunker down and hope that it would all pass away. Moses pressed forward. When fear or despair threatened Moses, Moses overcame them and put them aside. He endured as seeing him who is invisible. This was his holy steadfastness in the path of obedience in the way of righteousness. Remember what Moses had chosen. Moses had said God first. Moses had said God's people. Moses had said Christ and his reproach. That is what I take I understand something of who God is and what God does and I will hold fast to him. And having made that decision, that's the path that I will follow and I will not be dissuaded from it. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13. There's something that Moses could have added an amen to. Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. That's endurance, watching, standing fast fast in the faith, being brave and being strong. And Moses would need that kind of active perseverance, that kind of real endurance. Because at the point in his history of which the writer speaks, he is about to go out into the wilderness and spend 40 years... In obscurity and inactivity, relatively speaking. Now we know that Moses had been appointed to be God's people's deliverer by the Lord Himself. His parents knew that, it seems. He Himself came to that understanding. We know that there was that point when He tried to take matters into His own hands and He killed the Egyptian who was beating one of those Israelites. And He left. For 40 years, it seemed as if no progress were being made in the things for which God had appointed him. How patient are you? How many of us can wait 40 minutes? 40 days? 40 months? How many of us, with our mortal spans of life, would find it easy to endure over 40 years when it seems like you're not progressing an inch towards what you know, not even hope, is God's appointed path for you. Others might have said, Moses might have said, so much for being God's deliverer. And yet he endured. And even when he began to move back in that proper direction... After seeing the Lord in the burning bush there in the wilderness being sent as the envoy of the I am, how many more challenges and difficulties did he have to face? When he got back, the people didn't want to listen to him. And then Pharaoh was resisting him. And yet from this point onwards, here is a man who endures as seeing God who is invisible. He kept going and he kept acting despite the difficulties that he faced, despite the dangers that there were, despite the disappointments that came upon him, despite the delays that he suffered. He was a man who kept On keeping on, who kept on pressing forward. Can you imagine how often doubts and fears and concerns arose in his spirit over that period? We know that he himself, when the Lord called him to be his spokesman, said, but Lord, I can't speak in the way that you want me to speak. My my mouth doesn't work the way that I want it to work. I cannot speak for you. He was even denying that at that point, that this was what God would have him to do. And the same may be true of us. We're not necessarily called to be God's deliverer. Well, none of us is called to be God's deliverer in the way that Moses was, as a forerunner and a pattern of Jesus Christ. But in the path That God has appointed for us in the way that by His Spirit's working in our hearts, we have deliberately and consciously taken. That's what it means for you to be a Christian. That's what it means for you to be a converted man or woman. I have taken up my cross. I will follow Jesus Christ. I have counted the cost. I am not a child of this world, I am a child of God Most High. I will not enjoy what this world dangles before me, but I will stand with God and with his people. I will put to one side the passing pleasures of sin, and I will suffer affliction with the people of God. I will stand with Christ and under his reproach, because I consider that to be greater riches than the treasures of this world. And I am persuaded that there is a reward that makes all that worthwhile. And you will need to endure having made that judgment. You will need to press forward despite doubts and fears. You will face difficulties. There will be many dangers, toils, and snares. You will be often disappointed with yourself. And with others, there will be delays in which it seems like there's a growing gap. We heard some of this this morning between the promises of God and their fulfillments when it seems like the providences of God run against the promises. But Moses bore up under evils. Moses stood fast in trials. Moses showed patience when under pressures. Moses knew peace in the midst of pains. Some of you will know the name of a a great Scotch believer by the name of John Knox. John Knox was the man. He'd been a galley slave. Um, A lot of people didn't even survive that experience. He'd been uh, trained under Calvin in Geneva. He said that he thought Geneva was the most perfect school of religion since the days of the apostles. And Knox was able to say this. I want you to think about that the seriousness, the integrity with which John Knox could speak these simple words, I have looked upon the faces of angry men and not been afraid. Now Knox's angry men had the power sometimes, humanly speaking, to put him to death. How do you deal with angry men? Doesn't it upset you, distress you? I have to say, pastorally, I'm weary of the kind of anger that even Christians try and keep hidden sometimes in in public, but which bubbles up too often in private. Weary of being shouted at on the phone or in person by professing believers. It's not fun. It's deeply unpleasant. When people get angry with us, if you talk to somebody on the streets... And there's fury that begins to bubble up. Sometimes you're just a few moments into a conversation behind a door or on the street and immediately this antagonism toward Christ comes out. What do you want to do? Do you want to run away and hide? Curl up in a ball? Crawl behind a wall and hope that it goes away? Angry people are ugly, difficult, fearful. And Knox could say... I have looked upon the faces of angry men and not been afraid. When Pharaoh became angry with Moses, do you think he chatted with him in a pleasant conversational tone, this autocratic and absolute ruler of one of the mighty kingdoms of the ancient world? And yet Moses endured. Moses pressed forward. Over time, Facing challenges and difficulties with opposition and and, and, and pain and danger. He was able to hold fast and to press forward. And that should be true of Christians. You, if you are one of God's servants, you will need to endure. To act deliberately. This is right and I will go. To suffer patiently. In the name of Jesus Christ, to fight confidently, I will speak the truth and I will press on and to go willingly. This is the way the master went, should not the servant tread it still. Moses endured, and you, child of God, you will need to endure also. Now, note secondly that God's servants endure as seeing him who is invisible. That connection is vital. If I just keep shouting at you this evening, endure, 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 then first of all, you will have to persevere through the sermon alone, but there'll be no hope in that. There'll be nothing to sustain you in that. And I'm not just telling you to hold fast. I'm asking you to press forward. On what basis can you or me or anyone be expected to do this? Here's Moses' secret. This is how he pressed forward, putting aside doubts and fears. He lived as a man who could see the invisible God. What a beautiful description that is. Moses lived like a man who could see the unseen God. Now, what do we mean by this? Well, we know that God is not visible to the eye of flesh. This same language is used in a number of different places to describe uh, the dealings of God or the person of the Lord. You'll find it, first of all, in Romans chapter 1 and verse 20 where we're told that from the creation of the world, the invisible attributes of God, Romans 1 and verse 20, the invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made. See, you cannot see the attributes of God... You cannot see his justice, his goodness, his power, except as they operate in the world. God himself and what belongs to him, you cannot see, but you can calculate and discern its effects. Or again, in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15. Here Paul's emphasising the fact that God has made himself known in Christ, but... Christ is the image of the invisible God. You cannot see God. He is a spirit and does not have a body like men. But when you see Christ Jesus, there you can see what God, who you cannot see, is like in himself. And then there's also 1 Timothy, chapter 1 and verse 17. To the king eternal, immortal, invisible... To God, who alone is wise, be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen. So, if you weren't confused already, I've emphasised it. You cannot see God, and yet Moses lived as a man who could. Why? Because Moses was something like the Apostle Paul. Both of them knew this glorious reality. So you find in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16 very similar language. Listen to what Paul says. We do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but we look at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. It's beautiful biblical logic. Look at the things which you cannot see. And that's how Moses endured. He looked at the things which he could not see. In Psalm 16 and verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me, said David. I cannot see him, but I have set him always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. For Moses, you see, the king eternal trumped the king of Egypt. The king of Egypt was right there in front of him with all that he had to offer by way of blessings in this world and all that he had to bring in way of warnings, threatenings and judgments. But Moses could live as a man who saw the unseen God. Now, it wasn't even that Moses was saying, I remember seeing something of God at the burning bush. And I remember what that was like, and that really helps me. That is not what the writer to the Hebrews is emphasising. Moses lived as a man who had set the Lord always before him, who was at his right hand, that he might not be moved. He lived with this constant and happy consciousness of the presence of God. He endured as if he could see the invisible God... And you notice then from these various passages that I've turned to that both the Old Testament and the New Testament make this the distinguishing feature of those who endure. Whether you're Moses or David or Abraham or whoever it might be or you're Paul or you're Peter or you're John, you endure when you can live as if you see the invisible, the invisible God. Now consider for a moment, believer here this evening, do you not think that that would make a difference to your life? If it could be said of you characteristically that you are like a man or a woman who can see God all the time, would that not transform you or me? Would it not transform this congregation? Would it not change the way that we calculate, that we consider? This is how Moses kept on in the path that he had chosen. This is how he pressed forward when everything seemed to militate against him, choosing and following that path of reproach with the people of God. How did Moses keep going? How did he do more than simply hold on? How did he move on? The answer is he endured, he persevered as a man who could see God. So what makes the difference? Is that possible for you and I today? Or does that just belong to the Moseses of history and the Pauls and the Peters? Is that belong to, to saints of the past or to unusual men and women? By what means can people like us, Christians like you and me, see the invisible God? Well, you know perhaps the refrain of Hebrews chapter 11. By faith. Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. God's servants need to endure. God's servants endure as seeing him who is invisible. And God's servants need the faith that sees God in this way. What does Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1 tell us is the very essence of faith? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of Of things not seen. Moses endured because of his faith. It was faith that could, as it were, see God with him or near him. You think of uh, Elijah and his servant, uh, Elisha, sorry, and his servant uh, at Dothan when the Syrian army came against them and they're encamped all around the city. And Elisha's there and Elisha's doing fine. Elisha seems to be okay, and his servant is agitated. He says, look at the armies that are around us. Do you remember how Elisha prayed? Lord, open his eyes. And the eyes of Elisha's servants were opened, and he saw what could not be seen. He saw in the hills around that city the armies of the Lord of Hosts. And the armies of the Syrians suddenly shrank into a rather insignificant and paltry-looking crew because Elijah's servants could see that the angels of God were thronged around. And they were just angels. (laughs) Moses endured as seeing him who was invisible. And that enduring helps us to understand the seeing. It's a... It's not just an awareness of God. It's a seeing and a settling upon God by faith. It's a holding on to him. You see, this faith, it sits very low, but it looks very high. It has deep roots and it has high views. It sees God as present. Do you believe that God is here with us tonight? Is God with us? When you go home at the end of this service, will God be with you as you go? If you go into a difficult situation if you go home to family or friends who have no regard for true religion, who think that what you're doing is a nonsense, if you're going home perhaps to loneliness or distress, do you see God with you? Now this will not be a flash of brightness in the corner of your vision. There's a whole bunch of videos doing the rounds at the moment of people making religious statements and then whether or not it's some... Climactic, climatic phenomenon or something like that. There was one the other day. There was a, a light that sort of flashed in the heavens when someone mat- mentioned the name of Jesus. Christ. Oh, God was there. You know, God's kind of signed this one off. My friends, that's not going to happen to you. But you can know that God is present. You can see him near at hand. You know that he is not far off from you that he will never leave you or forsake you faith sees god present faith sees god promising do you take god at his word easier said than done isn't it you have a whole treasury of promises here spurgeon had that lovely little collection daily uh, daily devotions the checkbook of the bank of faith and they're all signed not blank. They're written out. God has said this and my name to it. If I fall short, then I am not God. Do you look for the fulfillment of God's promises? Do you believe the ones that are general concerning all of His people? Do you, do you believe the ones that are more specific concerning your particular circumstances? Do you believe the ones that are very precise, the ones that you perhaps need to take to your heart and cling to, even in the midst of your troubles, distresses, griefs and pains? God has said this, and this is what I need now. Do you see God protecting when you're threatened, when you're insulted, when you're about to stand up and be counted for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, when you're, you're wondering whether or not now's a good time just to put a dark cloak over your, your livery of Jesus Christ, to run the flag down the pole just for the time being, when you're testifying of him, when you're at school or at work or on the street, do you see God guarding his people? Do you know that you are secure at that moment? I find it hard to see that when I'm under those circumstances. But that's what faith does. Faith believes that God has assured us of this. Do you know that the good shepherd watches over his flock every step of the way? That the Lord Christ is praying for you as you go. Do you believe sometimes this is thrown away casually, isn't it? Oh, they're immortal till their work is done. Is that true of you? Because take away the, you know, the, the casualness and the sentimentality of it. Is that not true? That your days have been appointed. And that you will not die until the Lord calls you home, you having completed the work that he has given you to do. Do you see God providing? Giving you everything that is needful. To serve him in this day and guiding you all along the right way. Faith sees God because God has spoken. God has spoken. And faith sees the God who speaks. And faith then discerns, understands and proceeds on the basis of a God who has said, I will be with you. So God is there. A God who says, I will be your God at all times And in all circumstances and I will do this for you and I will take care of you in this way and I will show myself God under these circumstances. Faith hears God saying, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will be your shield. I will be your great reward. Faith sees God saying, I will provide all that is needful for you. And faith then actually sees God doing those things. There's not a Christian here who does not have a catalogue of testimonies if we only had eyes to see them, of how the Lord has helped us. And sadly, in our anti-supernatural age, and too often an anti-supernatural church, we've turned that into super-spiritual speech. We tend to attribute most things to what are sometimes called second causes, we may not go as far as say that was fortunate or that was lucky or, you know, as chance would have it or it all turned out that way. But we, we are, I think, too quick to take the language of the God who is there out of our everyday experience. When you give thanks for your food, that's not casual. God has provided. When you pillow your head at night, do you give thanks to God For the mercies he has bestowed upon you during the day. Do you bring the the details, the apparent trivialities, as well as the great things of your life before him? Do you set out through the day thinking of what lies ahead, particular challenges, particular opportunities, when you enter into different conversations, when you come into particular conflicts, when you're wrestling with sin within or with trouble without do you go into it seeing God. Faith will see God there. Faith will see God working in it. Sometimes faith looks back and says, Ah, oh, it's a bit clearer now. Sometimes faith looks back and says, I haven't got a clue what was going on there, but I know God was present. And I know his promises did not fail. I know his protection was sure. And I know his provision was not simply adequate, but generous. And with faith in this God, we endure. Having chosen, we keep on. And if you're a Christian here this evening, you need to understand that however feeble you may feel and however frail your faith may sometimes have been, if you're still standing and moving, it's because in God's mercy... There is enough of this in you to have seen God. Nothing else. Nothing else will help you to stand fast and to step forward. Nothing else will enable you not just to hold on, but to press forward. To meet fear, doubt and despair. And to breast the wave of this world's troubles and all that comes with it. We have more than Moses. Why? Because we've seen the glory of God shining in the face of Jesus Christ. Do you remember how the writer to the Hebrews begins his whole epistle? These are such sweet, such glorious words, worth remembering, worth memorizing. God, who at times past, at various times in various ways, spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. My friends, we see God in Christ. Moses esteemed the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, but he had not seen Jesus of Nazareth. We look back upon him who makes God known, the most clear, the most bright, the most excellent, the most perfect revelation of the very character of the God of heaven. The Jesus who said, when Philip said, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied, said, have you been so long with me? With me? And you're still asking that question? Philip, if you've seen me, you have seen God. My friends, we look to God through the prism of Christ, so clear, so bright, and our faith fixes upon him. How will you endure? Have you asked God for more faith? Do you plead that? That's a perfectly right and proper request. Lord, give me greater faith. Faith has its ebbs and its flows. It can be greater, it can be lesser, it can be stronger, it can be weaker. Lord, increase my faith is a perfectly proper prayer that I may live as seeing you, though you are invisible. Encourage faith. Do we talk supernaturally to one another? Do we frame our words in this world so as to take account of a present, promising, protecting and providing God? I'm not talking about turning it into some kind of syrupy tripe, but to say God has done this, the Lord has blessed me. My Father in heaven guided me through. My good shepherd has taken care of me. Do we feed faith? Do we, do we strengthen it? Do we nourish it? Do we nurture it in ourselves and in one another? And do we train it? Not saying we have to rebuke one another. But you can train your faith in one another's by using this kind of language, by pointing out the promises. Ah, do you see how God has been faithful? Well, yes. Yes, I do. By the way, you pray with one another, looking for things to come to pass, trusting in what God has said. Brothers and sisters, let us ask God to increase our faith. Let us encourage that faith in one another. Let's feed it from the word of God. Let's train it so that it is clear and strong and well directed, that we like Moses before us and like so many then since Moses and so many around us and so many who will need to learn the same thing from us that we may endure as those who see him who is invisible because faith has grasped our God in Christ. You may not have this because you do not yet have Christ. Faith will come first to Christ. Do that if you are without God and without hope in the world. And once you have Christ, you have God and you too will endure as seeing him who is invisible.